Well, today we're going to start a new series entitled Abraham. And uh, Abraham, I, I love Abraham. They're, they're, I, I hate to call them Bible characters because when we call them Bible characters, it, it almost makes them like cartoons. Uh, and they're not cartoons. They're real people who live real lives. But Abraham, for lack of a better, better word, is one of my favorite uh, Bible characters. You know, his faith has made a worldwide impact. That impact is still has a, an impact on our world today. His faith still has an impact on our world today. And here's what I mean. Uh, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all trace their origins back through this man, Abraham. You know, Abraham is obviously the genetic and spiritual forefather of, of Judaism. But then Islam also lays claim to Abraham because Abraham's son, Ishmael, is the ancestral founder or, or forefather of Muhammad, and of course, Muhammad being the founder of Islam. He said, well, what does this have to do with Christians? And obviously, most of us don't uh, take our genetic roots back to a Abraham, but our, we have a spiritual connection with Abraham. And our spiritual connection is this, that we are sons and daughters of God uh, when we come into relationship with Christ. So when we look at Abraham's faith and how the New Testament talks about the faith of Abraham, uh, we're following in his footsteps. He is our faith father. He is the example of faith for us in Christ. In Galatians 3, 7, it says this, Therefore that, not, excuse me, therefore that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Also in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Abraham is our faith father. As Christians, we trace our spiritual connection, our faith connection back to Abraham. He is our example. The same faith Abraham displayed towards God is the same faith God calls us to show towards Christ. So how Abraham pursued God by faith is how we ought to pursue Christ by faith. Are you following me? So knowing, uh, knowing some things about Abraham is very important to understand his faith. First of all, Abraham is just like anyone else in the Bible. If you're looking for a perfect person, Abraham is not your guy. I mean, David, for example, is not a perfect person. I mean, he has a life that, that is full of flaws. Moses has a life full of flaws. Each, each of these people lived real lives of faith, and Abraham is no different. His faith had ups and it had downs. Abraham dealt with fear. And we see that there are times where Abraham's fear triumphed over his faith. On two occasions, if you'll remember, Abraham tells these two half-truths. And it really puts his wife in a very bad position. I mean, Abraham is telling half-truths to save his own skin. But what ends up happening is two men take a liking to Sarah and want her as, as their wife. I mean, talk, that's kind of, kind of a low place, isn't it? To put your wife in that position. Abraham's prayer, or his faith, excuse me, wasn't always patient. Abraham's faith was not always patient. You remember God gave him this promise that through him he would have children, that a, a great nation would, would come through him. And so Abraham's waiting for that to happen, and it never, it never takes place. So what does he do? He gets impatient. 
So he tries to help God fulfill God's plans and promises. Now, you should know that's never a good idea, right? If you're trying to help God fulfill his plans and purposes. That's, God doesn't need any help, right? We just be patient, abide by faith. But Abraham, he gets impatient. What happens is, again, he has a child with his, mate, his wife's maidservant, Hagar. Of course, Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. So despite these failures, the writers of the New Testament, if you really go through the New Testament, Abraham, out of all the Old Testament characters other than Moses, is the most mentioned. And usually Moses is mentioned due to the law. But Abraham is mentioned usually almost entirely by faith, by his faith. So I would pay, say that the greater emphasis of Old Testament people in the New Testament is Abraham. So let's take a little cl- a closer look at the life of Abraham. We'll see why his faith is so valuable for us today. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 11 at uh, verse 27. It says, this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. So Terah is the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was the father of Lot. Of course, we remember Lot in the the next part of the story. It's Abraham's nephew. So uh, verse 28, And Haran died before his father Terah uh, in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. And then Abram took uh, Nahor, excuse me, and then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. Uh, but Sarai, Sarai was barren, she had no children. And Terah took his son Abram, and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter in law Sarai his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelled there. Now, Abraham was born in Ur, and Ur is in southern Mesopotamia. Now, if you'll remember seventh grade world history, I know it was a long time ago, but if you'll remember the word Mesopotamia means the land between two rivers. It's what we would refer to today or refer in history as the Fertile Crescent. So Ur is at the bottom of the Fertile Crescent. And so what Terah decides to do, at some point he's going to leave Ur, and he's going to move to Canaan. Now the family travels from Ur through Mesopotamia, but they, they do not make it to Canaan. Instead, they settle in Haran. If you know where Haran is today, Haran is in Turkey. So if you think about the Tigris and Euphrates River, it comes down into the Gulf, but then it branches out and it widens out, it goes all the way up to Turkey. So the family travels, they're going to go to Canaan, but they, they stop in Haran, in Turkey. It's believed by some that the town of Haran wasn't named that prior to their arrival. Uh, many believe that town was named Haran as a, an honor to Terah's descendant, his son, his deceased son. So as you can see, this place where they're living or where they've settled has become home really quick. I mean, the town is named after his deceased son. So this place is home. They've put down some, some strong roots. And so when God calls Abram, this is important. Abram is, is Chaldean. And Chaldeans aren't monotheistic. They're polytheistic. Uh, people living during Abraham's time, uh, especially in that part of the world, were not monotheistic. They had many gods. In fact, they had something called family gods. And family gods were basically a, a, a pantheon or a collection of gods 
but there was no, no one singular God that was God over all. There was no almighty, there was no, no God that was over these gods. They were kind of a collection of gods. And you'll find this phrase in the book of Genesis. It's used 13 times. It's the God of our fathers or the God of the fathers. And that's pointing back to these household gods. Uh, another phrase you'll see used in Genesis is acquiring of gods. They acquired gods. These are household gods. So Abram and his family were polytheistic. And they have a family God, but their family God isn't the Lord. Again, hang with me because this is so important. When you see all this and you tie it together to Abram's faith, you understand why Abram is a faith hero, why he's our faith father. Joshua makes this reference about Abram and uh, the gods that they served before the Lord. And Joshua 24.2, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers included Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Also, that same chapter later on, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him with sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, serve the Lord. So just there, you can even see when they went to Egypt, what did they do? They didn't turn back to God. They turned back to the gods that they served before. They've turned back to these household gods. And Joshua was reminding them, reminding the Israelites of their own spiritual history and how Abraham served other gods on the other side of the river. And Joshua knows this, after his death, the Israelites are going to be tempted and they're going to be tempted by the people around them to fall back and re-embrace these household gods because that is the worship of the people around them. And Joshua reminds Israel that God called them out from those people and God called them to leave those gods in order to establish them as a people, a peculiar people for himself. So church, we ourselves got to be aware of our, of our own human tendencies, that we always have this tendency in our flesh to go back to what's familiar. We see that throughout the history of the Israelites. Abraham is listed first in the genealogy of Terah's son, which implies that he's the firstborn. Abraham is the heir to the estate. However, if Abraham leaves that family, if he leaves that household, if he leaves those gods, he is not entitled to that inheritance. That inheritance will fall to the next son, which is Nahor. Keep all these facts in mind as we read God's calling out. When God calls Abram, think about who he is, who his family is, where they've journeyed from. And this is God's call to him. Remember, Abraham and his family aren't serving the Lord. They don't even know the Lord exists. So let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoke to him, and, he, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions and that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan, so they came to the land of Canaan. So when Abraham, when God calls Abraham away from his father, away from his people, away from their land, away from their gods, God is asking a lot of Abraham. And if I, excuse me, I know Abraham, 
Abram is still Abram at this point, but it's just easy to call him Abraham, all right? So, so please uh, forgive me for skipping ahead and calling him Abraham, but it's just, just to have it. So consider Abraham's mindset when God calls him. Who is this God? I mean, really, who is this God amongst all the gods? Of all the gods the people serve, who does this God think he is? I mean, who, who is, who is, I mean, he's making some pretty bold claims. Can this God deliver these lofty promises? Is this God more powerful than the other gods around us? In those days, the more wealthier, the more powerful a person was, the more powerful was their God, their household God. So Abraham's family was wealthy, and we know this based on verse 4, because it says that Abraham had acquired all these possessions in Haran, and also that he had acquired people. I'm talking about people who have significant wealth. So in their minds, they would think this, who is this God? I already have everything I need. I mean, we're wealthy, we're powerful. Later on, when you see Abram, he's really, when Abraham, this is not my notes, I don't mean to skip forward too far, but when you see Abraham rescue Lot, he is like a warlord for lack of a better term, a religious warlord. I mean, he has an army. He has men that go before him. I mean, he has an army that goes and rescues Lot out of another kingdom. So this is the type of person Abram is. He, has a, he is a man of power and wealth already. So why would he go to this, this unknown God? Why would he ever leave a God who is not proven, not known, not served? So when Abram leaves Haran, he goes to Canaan, all that wealth and power that he has, but all that wealth and power that he could receive from his father is left there. It goes to Nahor. That's not, Abraham is leaving. He's jumping ship. He's not just leaving his father and his people. He's leaving their gods. It's a major abandonment. It's just like this. If you have a, a son or a daughter and you're a Christian and you're born again and they become a Hare Krishna, you'll be like, what? It would upset you, Right? I mean, I'm trying to think of something that is completely opposite of Christianity. It would be very troubling. So Abraham, when he leaves Haran and God calls him, God calls him at 75 years of age. He's no spring chicken. Abraham decides to leave his father, his household, and the gods they served. Abraham calls, or God calls Abraham to a place where he has no family, where he has no influence, uh, where he has no connection to serve a God no one knows. And that was a major step of faith. And I don't think it's one that we recognize because we don't look at his backstory. We don't understand who he is. We just think, oh, God called Abram. It's no big deal. It's like us getting called today. No, it's not. He was called to leave everything. Remember, this is our faith father. He is our example of how we should serve Christ by faith. The new God offers Abraham a deal. This is what I need you to do, Abram. I need you to walk away from everything you know. Everything you have, every, everything you might inherit from your family, leave, abandon their gods, and I will give you children that you don't have. I know you're 75 years old and your wife is old too, but I'm going to give you children that you don't have, and I'm going to give you land that you don't own. In fact, you don't even know where the land is. There are people living there, but I'm going to give you that land anyways. I will make you a great nation, and all the people of the world one day will be blessed if you leave all this and you will follow me. Now, I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like a good deal. Not when you're a person of wealth and power and influence and you have this wonderful inheritance and you live in a town that is named after your brother. Why on earth would you leave all that for a God who is unproven, unknown, and no one follows him? I'm sure Abraham's father thought he was crazy. You, son, you've gone nuts. 
Who in their right mind would walk away from so much and risk it all for a God that nobody knows? In the New Testament, Paul writes these words, and I think it really comes alive when you look at the situation. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And I know we can quote that, and we can say that, and we can believe that, but do we, could we, really, do we really walk that ourselves? Could we put ourselves in Abraham's shoes and really walk that out ourselves? You see, faith is much more than believing some biblical facts. And unfortunately, that's what we've reduced faith down to in our day and age. Just believe these facts, and that's faith. Abraham is our faith father. He is our faith example in Christ. How Abraham pursued God is how we should pursue Christ by faith. Faith like Abraham was accompanied with committed action. Abraham hears the promise of this unknown God. He responds by faith. He leaves his family, and he's, he's, he leaves a promise, and he, it seems far-fetched, but yet he puts his trust in this God. Abraham leaves Haran, and as far as we know, he never goes back. So anyways, as you consider the life of Abraham, consider this. Abraham never owned land in Canaan, all the way up until the day he died. Abraham never owned a scrap of land in Canaan other than a grave. And he had to really negotiate for that grave. He put his wife in that grave, and he himself was put in that grave. But Abraham never owns a single scrap of ground. He's a nomadic person. He's a, a nomadic warlord that is building power and wealth, moving throughout Canaan, but never having a home. The only property he owns, again, is that cave where it becomes a grave. Despite never owning a scrap of land, Abraham did not waver in unbelief. He continued to walk by faith rather than by sight. It would be hard, wouldn't it? That God's called you from everything that's familiar. Again, you have a town that's named after your family. And you've left all that, and you live as a nomad. You live in tents, wandering the desert. It doesn't sound like a good promise to me, does it, to you? But, but despite all this, Abraham doesn't waver in unbelief. He continues to walk by faith rather than sight. And when I think about Abraham leaving Haran, all that he's ever known, I think of God's calling on us. God's calling for us to leave our sin, to separate ourselves from this fallen world. Think of 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation. This is speaking to us as believers. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, uh, a holy nation, a separate, which is what means holy is, ho separate nation, uh, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When the Holy Spirit drew us to, a re to repentance and presented this opportunity to follow Jesus, it's similar to the, God, the call of God on Abram's life. God calls us away from ourselves. God calls us away from our sin. He calls us away from this world. And it, it sounds easy on the surface, but if we'll be honest, if we genuinely make that break and we separate ourselves from our past, from our sin, from everything that, that held us captive before, it is difficult. It is not easy to make that break. Some of you have done this before. You made some breaks, and you thought you were free, and all of a sudden, Haran just kept coming back into your life, kept sneaking back in, kept trying to get its clutches back on you, pull you back into your hometown, so to speak. Too many people have discovered the buffer of religion. Instead of fighting that, they're like, well, let's just settle for this. This, this kind of in-between is, is not a bad place. I'm, I'm somewhere between the world and the kingdom, and so... It's difficult, but, you know, it is what it is, so we'll just settle for this. 
Church, don't ever do that. L- listen to God's call in our life. Listen what Jesus says to us in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, this, I know this is strong words, but it's going to be love more than God. This is the context. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, those are strong words. And if, if, you're, if your heart isn't formed correctly, you can almost be offended by that verse. But all God is saying, listen, you, just take all that out and just put your own life. If, if you don't forsake your own life, you can't follow Jesus. It's really what it comes down to. Why is that? Because if you, ne- if you never separate from Haran, separate from the world, you always have the world coming back and after you. It always wants to have you back. See, God calls us out of our sin, away from this world, but some of us have difficulty separating ourselves from our sin because we're still enamored with Haran. We like this idea of the promised land, but we'll settle for the land between two rivers. Church, there isn't one thing in this world that's worth dying for. And what I mean is this, there's not one thing in this world that's not worth dying for in the second death, which is eternal. There's nothing in this world that is worth your soul, the cost of your soul. Nothing. There's nothing worth, let me put it in these terms, there's nothing worth going to hell for. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There isn't one thing in this fallen world that's worth exchanging your soul for. Jesus offers us something very similar to what God offers Abraham. And it's deny ourselves, because that's exactly what Abraham had to do. I'm sure Abraham's flesh, he, he wasn't looking for a life change at 75. I mean, his life is looking pretty plush. It's looking pretty comfortable. He's, not that he wants his dad to die, but he's got a significant inheritance. He himself has already become wealthy. I mean, he's going to inherit all these blessings. And then God shows up and says, listen, you need to leave all that. Leave all that behind. Carry your own cross. Follow Jesus, so to speak. In our Americanized version of the gospel, Jesus, Jesus exists in most eyes of most people to do this, to save us from our sins, to send us to heaven and give us a good life while we're waiting for it. That's the Americanized gospel. And it, it completely contradicts what Jesus says to us, as in, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But an Americanized version of the gospel is this, give your life to Jesus, he'll save you from your sins, and all that's true, and you'll go to heaven, and he will make your life better until that happens. But to live our lives sacrificially, to leave everything, to live according to God's plans and purposes, that seems so extreme to most people. I mean, maybe that kind of commitment is true for pastors or, or for missionaries, but listen, I just go to church. I mean, surely that isn't the, common, the commitment for the common day, everyday Christian. And the answer is, yes, it is. I mean, surely God doesn't really expect us to leave Haran, to really leave the world? And the answer is, yes, he does. Because he's called us to be a holy people, a peculiar people, a people that is separate from this world. 
Hebrews 11.8 talks about Abraham in, in his faith, and it's in the, the hall of faith or the faith heroes. And Abraham's mentioned several times. And in verse 8, it says this, By faith Abraham obeyed, and I think that's an important word. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And we, we learned something really important about Abraham right there. And this is why Abraham was able to walk by faith and not by sight. This is why Abraham could live in tents and never own a scrap of ground. Because he, he understood a, an eternal promise. Abraham knew that the promise that God was giving him, his children, grandchildren, what his descendants would enjoy that promise, but he himself, that's okay, that's good. I want my descendants to have this land, but listen, my home is not here. My home is somewhere else, and God is building that place. He's the builder and maker of that place. And yet this plagues us often in our lives. We get so focused on this place here that we forget what we're going to inherit. Verse 13, these all died, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off, afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We got to get that verse into our spirit right there. We are considered strangers and pilgrims in this world. This world isn't our home. But our flesh, it doesn't want to be a stranger or a pilgrim in this world. It, it, it wants the promised land, but it doesn't want to be a stranger or a pilgrim in this world. But listen, we can't have it that way. Either we leave Haran and we go to the promised land, or we stay in between and we'll never inherit this place that God intends us to be, or we just stay in Haran and we definitely will never come to that place. But our flesh, it, it doesn't want to be a stranger. It doesn't want to be a pilgrim. It wants to be residents. It wants to be landowners. It wants to value what Haran has to offer. And leaving Haran, leaving that place seems so risky for us. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that, from that, mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham understood this promise. And this is why he could walk by faith and not by sight. Abraham, we're able to see in his faith, he did not inherit a land that he was promised. But he inherited a land that was far greater than what he was promised. And he understood this. That, okay, as he walked with God, God, you're going to establish my people, my descendants in this land. This is going to be our land. But I'm never going to enjoy it here. But I'm going to get to enjoy it in eternity, which is far better, would you not say? I mean, let's face it, church, we have 100 years on this earth if we, if we live a long life. I don't know that I want to live to be 100 years old. But I'm just saying, 100 years, and put that in, in comparison to eternity, which is forever. Do you want to enjoy land here for 100 years, or do you want to la enjoy a homeland in eternity? It's far better. But he understood this, and that's why he could walk by faith, not by sight. Like Abraham, our nation, we, we have household gods. Now, in our nation, we call these household gods Christianity, 
We'll even call them Jesus. But they are really, in reality, man-made deities or man-made religions that are simply just passed down to us from generation to generation. These gods will bless us. Again, we'll call them Jesus. Just hang with me. They'll bless us. They'll forgive us. They'll heal us. The list goes on and on what they will do for us. And in order to receive that favor, all we have to do is just believe in them. Just believe. Believe in Jesus, and that is all yours. Is that true with Abraham, though? Is that, he's our faith father. He's our faith example. Is this how he enjoyed the favor and the promises of God? Let's look at his example. God calls Abram, makes him these promises. How does Abraham respond? Abraham believes God, and that faith is credited to him as righteousness. We say, well, right there, he, he believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, so here's my question. Because Abraham's faith is our example. So how Abraham responds to God's promises is how we should respond to Christ. So does Abraham believe God and remain with his family in Haran? The answer is no. God called him out of Haran, and he leaves Haran. He obeys God, and he leaves Haran. If Abraham believes this God can do everything he says he can do, why does he just bless me in Haran? Why do I have to leave Haran? Why can't I just stay here? This is where my family is. Why, not, why can't God, if this God is so powerful, can do these things, why can't he just bless me there? I think I'm just going to stay here, and he can do what he wants to do through me here. See, and this is how we often handle salvation. We handle it this way, on our terms. God said to do this, but we're going to do it this way. And we think we're saved, we think we're doing the right thing. Now, if that's how Abraham would have responded, would God still honor his promise to Abraham? The answer is, of course not. Absolutely not. God and his plans and purposes called Abraham away from Haran because he knew this. In Haran, Abraham would never walk by faith. In Haran, Abraham would never have to walk by faith. But if he goes to the land that is promised, the land of Canaan, he will have to trust God. He will have to sell out to God. He will have to follow God. by. He will have to rely on God every day. And that's exactly where God wants him. God calls Abram away to Canaan away from Haran, and there God will establish all those promises. But if Abraham stays in Haran, Abraham never becomes our faith father. He walks by sight rather than faith. How can he be our faith father? If Abraham refuses to leave Haran, God finds someone else to fulfill his promises. Do we have a faith in God that places all of our trust in him? Do we have that same faith, element, same quality of faith that Abraham had? Do we have a quality of faith that says, I'm going to put all my trust in God? Why on earth would anyone believe a God who just suddenly shows up out of nowhere, a God that no one serves, a God that no one, no Bible, no scriptures, no religion, no followers, nothing. And this God just shows up and says, hey, follow me. And if you follow me, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Who in their right mind would do this? It doesn't make sense. Why would anyone put their trust in that kind of God? But that's exactly what God calls us to do in Christ, to walk by faith rather than sight. Abraham shows his faith by action. He hears the voice of God. He leaves as God directs him. And because of this faith that he has, he fully trusted the Lord. Again, is his faith perfect? We understand that Abraham doesn't have perfect faith. He has times of failures and times of success. But what he has is this, over the course of time, he has consistency. 
Abraham's faith that is obedient. He hears God, he obeys God, he leaves Haran, and he never goes back. Do you have that same faith, that same faith in Christ, an obedient faith? Consider Abraham's faithful obedience. He's our faith father, he's our example. Again, he just doesn't believe God, he obeys God. He believes God, so that's why he obeys God. What does your faith look like in comparison to Abraham? Do you have the same commitment to obey his word? Do you have the same diligence in your faith to leave the world as Abraham did? To follow God and to remain committed, even if you don't fully see the promises being fulfilled? Because that's the test, isn't it? Because often God gives us his plans and his purposes, and we see them, and we pursue them, and we're like, hey, this isn't going as I thought it would go. And we start to waver. We start to wonder, am I doing the right thing? And Abraham, sure, had the same, the same kind of a struggle. But what did he do? He worked past him, and he kept his eyes on God, and he kept his eyes on those promises. And he continued to move forward by faith. He didn't allow doubt and fear to cripple him. Church, everyone is going to go through this. Every one of you. I don't care how long you've served Jesus, whether you're young in the faith or old in the faith. If God calls you to do something, there is going to be a struggle. There's going to be a time of testing. Remain faithful to God. Follow him faithfully. Let's say this. You're, you're, you're serving God with all your heart, and you encounter a sickness or a disease, a health struggle. And you know all the scriptures by his stripes were healed. His blood is sufficient. We believe his promises. We believe his report. We look at all these healings that Jesus did uh, in the New Testament. We, we read about all these healings through the church in the New Testament. And we believe, we believe, we believe, but yet... Our bodies aren't healed. It is natural for you to waver in your faith. I know that that might come as a shock to you, but we, we like to preach just tell you an opposite thing, but it's not the truth. It's completely out of line with Scripture, by the way. Now, we would love for every person to never doubt, to never fear, but you're going to. And I don't care what anyone says. When a doctor gives you a terminal illness, no hope, no cure, it hits home. And it should. But does it change the promise? It doesn't change the promise. It changes how you may have wanted the promise to be fulfilled, that God would heal me. But I can tell you this, if you continue forward with God, you remain faithful to him. You will not enter eternity sick. Think about it in these terms. You have 100 years or less here on earth. Would you rather be healed here for 100 years? or And I know this is not possible, but I'm just saying or dread just be sick for all eternity. I'll take the hundred years. You know what I'm saying? I'll take the hundred years of struggle. But we don't have that mindset, and it's difficult. And everybody, we should understand that. Here's my challenge to you this morning. God's called us out of Haran. He's called us out of this world. He's called us away from our habits. He's called us away from bad relationships. He's called us away from selfish desires. God has called us away from our sin, away from ourselves away from certain people, certain religious beliefs. And what he has to offer is far greater. And God is calling you to a life of faith, each and every one of us. God has a plan for our lives, each and every one of you. It doesn't matter how old you are. God's got a plan for you. But maybe you're not fulfilling those purposes. God's called you out, but something is holding you back. Something or someone. Church, I just want to call you to a place of commitment this morning. Because that's what faith is all about. We think of faith as just belief, but it's not. It's a place of commitment. God's plans for you are far better than your plans. 
God's plans for you are far better than what anyone else would have for you. And God is calling us to trust him. And would we commit ourselves with that same kind of trust that Abraham had? Every one of you can do that. Every one of us. You don't have to be a superhero to do this. If Abraham stayed in Haran, he would have become wealthy. He would have become powerful. But Sarah would have never had any children. What God has to offer is far better than what this world has to offer. Abraham stays in Haran. He becomes wealthy. He becomes powerful. But he never has a child through his wife Sarah. And God never establishes a, a kingdom through him. Abraham wouldn't be our faith father who shaped our world if he stayed in Haran. So it's your choice. Can you choose to fulfill God's plan for your life or walk by faith or are you just going to stay in Haran? It's a little more comfortable there. I get it. But what God's called you to is far greater.